0: Alan, your host, and we are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. This program from the heartland is uh, sponsored in part by a number of great local businesses in the Des Moines metro, including Gateway Market and Cafe. That's my grocery store. They're open seven days a week with their takeout service for lunch and supper, and you can also get breakfast takeout on the weekends. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Noche is Des Moines' premier jazz and cabaret hotspot. They're located just south of the Sculpture Park on the west side of downtown Des Moines, and they are now open for very appropriately socially distant concerts that are also live-streamed. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, again, welcome to the program, Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from the heartland. This is a voice from the heart of the heartland, Iowa, Uh, which is, of course, one of the swing states in the upcoming election that should be interesting. Uh, Later in the program, Jeffrey Weiss is going to join us. We're going to talk about a disturbing trend, uh, growing support for political violence in the U.S. We'll also, tied in with that, talk about an effort underway to prepare a nonviolent response to the possibility, dare I say, probability of election chaos. And I'm also going to talk about, um, well, my, uh, my relationship with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Kathy Burns with Bold Iowa joining us for that. And Kathy will stick around with another hat on for later in the program as we talk about yard-to-table workshops for 2021. But first, as we always do on this program, because of the concern, growing concern about the climate crisis, in this climate report, I'm going to talk about a broken, I'm going to be basically a broken record talking about breaking records. I know, and I know you know I know it's really really important that we talk to people who aren't like us. We have to reach out. I mean, the divides that have developed in this country, thanks in part to very partisan politics, to a lot of other influences, including cyberspace. Uh, we you know we have a hard time talking with the other side, so to speak. But I want to emphasize how important it is to preach to the choir. And why? Well because the choir isn't singing very well. Uh, some members of the choir aren't singing at all, and some are just singing way too soft. You know, I, and my, my, the bottom line is people, more and more people understand that we have a crisis, and yet the amount of action being generated to address that crisis at the personal level and at the political level is not adequate to the challenge. And I, you know, let me start with just um, my favorite mainstream publication, These days is the Guardian, out of Great Britain, you know, and it takes it says something for an Irishman like me to be praising an English paper, okay? But uh, (laughs) they get it; they really are doing a fantastic job at covering the climate crisis, and they have this um, this five point uh, uh, five charts offering data on what what they call vital signs about climate change, and and it's really worth, it's almost worth like reviewing these every day when you get up. First of all, global temperature change. You look back to 1880, which is the start of the industrial age. And, you know, the the red line goes up. Well, it it kind of was was steady for a while, even dipped a little bit. But it's been going up and up and up very steadily. And we have seen an increase in the global temperature of about 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That's measurable. And that's not something that can happen in a natural situation where climate change takes place over centuries and millennia. This is, you know, there's there's no scientific debate on this anymore. We are seeing this. And, you know, when people are confronted with that, it's hard to say, well, (laughs) yeah, it's anything but our lifestyle, our fossil fuel powered existence and where it leads. I mean, the trend line is is horrifying and uh, catastrophic. The other one? Well, again, one of the, the other, the second of the five points that the Guardian hammers away at, atmospheric carbon dioxide. The level of CO2 in the atmosphere, again, back in 1958, the year I was born, it was below 325 parts per million, and now it is 412 parts per million, parts per million. I mean, that we have not seen that in 3 million years. In other words, we've never seen that. <laughs> and, uh... You know, again, that is unprecedented and a clear indicator of the severity of the crisis. Third, Greenland. The amount of ice on Greenland has dropped by over 4,000 gigatons. I, I can't even imagine what a gigaton is. I know it weighs more than a car. Uh, it's a heck of a lot of weight. <laughs> it's a heck of a lot of ice. And if you look at the graph showing how much ice on Greenland has melted, it is disturbing. Along with that is sea level rise. Again, we've seen uh, close to 3 inches of sea level rise most around the world. Again, it, doesn't, it isn't consistent in every single place. But overall, we've seen, and again, according to the Guardian's measurements, 69.21 millimeters of sea level rise. I translate that as roughly 3 inches. You know, and again, that trend is only going to continue as Greenland continues to melt, as the Arctic ice melt continues uh, and again, looking at the trend line, significant decline in arctic ice. So, you know, I, I say, you know, I say to the choir, you know, look at, look at, look at this, look at what's happening, look at where this is going. And we need to do more, you know, and I, and I, I don't want to be seen as judgmental. I don't like being judgmental. I, I think of it more as being encouraging, you know, and, and all of us, self-included, need encouragement. I need to be encouraged. You know, I see this more as, You know, instead of being judgmental and pointing a finger at somebody and saying, you're not doing your part, think of it like a flock of geese. We're all in this together, we're all flying in one direction. And we need to honk at the ones in front to do, you know, to keep going, to persevere, to keep at it. And we need to take turns so that those ones in front aren't always leading the way, aren't always breaking the wind, aren't always getting exhausted. We need to take turns, we need to do our part, we need to encourage each other all the time. You know, and I, again, I think, I don't know how else to say that, I, you know, I think of all the things that we do every day, you know, and I'm not, I'm not asking people to do more, I'm not asking people to take on a new challenge, I'm asking people to examine their lives very, very carefully and figure out how they can do things differently without destroying, you know, any sanity they have. You know, and maybe it involves, for example, maybe it involves instead of taking that um, that pricey uh, plane vacation, you know, hopping on a jet to Europe, maybe, you know, maybe instead of flying to Europe uh, you can enjoy a vacation in northeast Iowa. I'm speaking to my fellow Iowans here. Again, beautiful quaint villages up in that part of the state. This time of the year, incredible fall foliage. You know, I know there's something really exciting about going to the Mediterranean, um, flying across the ocean, but, you know, maybe you can hop in, ideally a gas, you know, a a fuel-efficient car. Check out those Places in Iowa or in your home state that you haven't seen, that you haven't spent time at. You know, that's, that's one simple thing that people can do. Saves money, cuts down on your carbon footprint significantly, and also supports the local economy. You know, think also about your food sources. You know, I, I know we, you know, we, we don't, Kathy and I, we don't buy, we, we raise about half of our food. And so we buy less than most people. Um, we probably spend more on the stuff that we buy than maybe most people do because, you know, so, so we, all right, so we like wine. We like chocolate. Yeah, and you can, you, can, you can encourage me to eat less chocolate if you like because um, <laughs> I, I know that's coming. Not from an Iowa-based product, <laughs> anyway, but uh, I don't need a lot of chocolate. Come on. I'm being hard on myself now. Uh, you can pick up where I left off. But the, uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, we should look at our food choices because foods that come from far away, Take more fossil fuels to get there. Fools, foods, <laughs> Fools foods that are grown in the industrial food system use more chemicals, and chemicals, of course, are petroleum-based. So you know, think about, even if it's just a couple things on your table that you can begin to source locally, if you don't grow them yourself, maybe you can find a farmer nearby. Maybe there's a locally-owned grocery store that does offer those products. Maybe you pay a little more for them. But, in the, but think of that as an investment. Think of that as an investment in, 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 in supporting your environmental ethic and an investment in the future in terms of reducing the inevitable impacts of climate change. So, you know, I, this is not intended to be judgmental, but we could be doing more, all of us who are in the choir, who get it, who understand these numbers from the Guardian, who understand what global sea level rise is all about, what the melting of ice in the Arctic and Greenland and the Antarctic is all about, we, who understand that this is, 2020 is probably gonna be, we have, remember we have a month and a half left to go in hurricane season. 2020 is already probably the worst hurricane season on record. And, and to be clear, the f- four of the five worst seasons in our history uh, have been 1995, 2005, 2010, and 2012. And 2020 is likely to surpass all of those. Again, named storms, we've already had 25 named storms. The average is 13. We've already had nine hurricanes. The average is seven. So, you know, on top of that, you're looking at the fire situation out west. You know, 2020 tops all, you know, the last 10 years have shattered fire records, and 2020 is going to top them all. Record-breaking wildfires. Eight of the 10 largest fires in California history have burned in the past decade. You know, so... We know what's going on. So more and more people are joining the choir, but not enough of us are singing loudly enough. Figure out what it is you can do to make a difference this week. Take one thing, whether it's food, transportation, um, whether you put the heat on 65 or 68 and opt to wear a sweater instead. Whatever it is you can do, do it. You can do more. You know you can. I know I can do more. We all can do more, and we all have to do more. So please, folks... This is Ed Fallon. Not trying to be a hard, you know, a hard schoolmarm type on this, but just saying that let's all pull together. Let's be, let's be those geese that are honking loudly to encourage all the other geese in the flock to do everything they can to move this forward. Okay, hey, thanks. When we come back from a short break, uh, Jeffrey Weiss is going to join us. We're going to talk about how support for political violence seems to be growing. Perhaps back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
1: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street... Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's h-o-q-table.com.
0: Welcome back to The Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Folks, uh, thanks to some of our local business partners who helped make this program possible. Uh, Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, and a great place for lunch and supper through their takeout program. And on the weekends, breakfast as well. Breakfast through their takeout program and lunch and dinner every day of the week. Uh, Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, with 30 years of experience specializing in cutting-edge and environmentally friendly designs, including super-insulated structures made from grain bins. That's architecture by synthesis. All right. Hey, um, we're going to be uh, welcoming Jeffrey Wise to the program. Uh, uh, Jeffrey is a um, longtime political and social justice activist in Des Moines, also an instructor at a local college. And uh, always tracking stuff. I remember uh, years ago, not that long ago, a couple years ago, Jeffrey and I had a conversation on this program about how political violence around the world seemed to be in decline. And now we see a disturbing trend that might suggest that support for political violence in the U.S. is on the rise. Jeffrey, welcome to the program.
2: Yeah, thank you, Ann.
0: And maybe you remember that conversation a couple of years ago.
2: Yes, I do.
0: Yeah, And so what's happening now? Um, You know, it just seems like uh, surveys are suggesting that uh, more and more people are okay with um, violent responses to political problems.
2: Yeah, I think, well, I would really suggest one thing everybody should do is to make sure they look at the Southern Poverty Law Center's website because they are, of course, for decades been tracking um, hate groups in particular um, across the United States. But, I mean, I think it's a huge topic. There's a lot of factors. I'll just throw out a couple. I mean, when you have a country where the 400 wealthiest people own as much wealth as the bottom 50 percent or 165 million people, the center cannot hold that there is an increasing uh, radicalism that, that is taking place. Uh, in the United States, when you have dramatic inequality, um, the rise of a Christian right that is um, that has has uh, tendencies of some of what we saw in the early 1930s um, in Italy, in particular, um, and, and it has only become stronger as the president of the United States um, is. You know, I mean, there was a recent rally in Germany amongst neo-Nazis who sort of held up the president of the United States as their model leader. And so, you know, you have similar, uh, you know, people who, who follow in the United States, um, some of these groups in, in, in Michigan, et cetera, who, uh, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, who there was a domestic terrorism plot to kidnap her, and the FBI thwarted at least some of the groups for now. Well, isn't isn't that <laughs> encouraging? Isn't that encouraging he, he that she the... appeared on, on TV and said that the president is is complicit? Because even in the aftermath of that, uh, the president of the United States continued to right. to attack her.
0: Yeah, I mean, saying that uh, saying that um, open up Michigan, free Michigan, something like that. But isn't it encouraging that the FBI, uh, you know? Yeah, the FBI has among among leftist thinkers. The FBI is not the, our most favorite organization, but it's encouraging to me at one level that the FBI did take this threat seriously and did something about it.
2: Yeah, there there are a couple of individuals. I'm forgetting one of their names right now. Who who have been taking on some of these right wing paramilitary groups, and you hope that the president doesn't get rid of them because he has gotten rid gotten rid of. Of course, a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah. um, in his administration. But we don't, you know, we don't really know. You know, I, Steve Bannon, years ago, when he had said that he used to like to use this term Leninist, and, and he said that Lenin wanted to destroy the state, and that's our goal. That's a nice quote from Bannon. <laughs> what that really speaks to is that what the Republican Party has been doing for decades as what Chris Hedges speaks of as a, as a corporate coup d'etat, they have been really dismantling the institutions of the state, and not only dismantling the institutions of the state, but attacking journalism, journalists. In the case of the, the current administration, literally in terms yeah. of attacks on journalists, the United States is now what I think 52nd in the world in press freedom. And I think wow. this hmm. speak this this really furthers some of this uh, radicalism. You have talk radio, which has for decades been been anti-government. Well, since 1996, government is the you know,
0: evil. It was really the uh, the telecommunications act that Bill Clinton, I might add, signed is it really caused Talk Radio to become so dramatically skewed to the far right? And then that, that, yeah, was, that and has the only fairness worse. those
2: doctrine in the in the 80s which the you know the Reagan administration you know, dismantled. Yeah, I mean there's there's really there's really a lot of but you see this convergence of and then you have of course Matt Taibbi writes about it in his new book Hate Incorporated where there's a corporate business model of media now to make people angry, you know, that people tune into the so-called news on cable and it, it to, to make them angry. And that business model is, you know, was originated largely by Fox, but now it's been picked up by um, other news organizations. And that also to, contributes to people's anger. And so, I mean, these are just, a, a lot of reasons. Boy, everything from inequality to uh, the propaganda that people continue to receive that but, is, is fueling a, a lot of this. And you really you really don't know where it's going.
0: But Jeffrey, a lot of the, uh, I mean, yes, certainly on the political right, especially on the extreme right, uh, where we've seen, uh, you know, protesters showing up at state capitals with guns, uh, protesting mask requirements. And in, in the most recent and, and draconian and disturbing case uh the 13 militia members that wanted to kidnap governor uh, whitmer of uh, of michigan but you know it's sure. not just the political right there's more support for violence on the political left and uh, i was criticized really severely by a bunch of people for suggesting that that might be a problem but uh i mean is that your experience yeah. as well i, I to it, me yeah, it looks I mean, like I there's
2: it's it, it's you know it's definitely ninety eight percent on the right. And oh, 2%. I don't think so.
0: I, I think I I think it's I think elsewhere. it's I I don't I don't know but if I agree with that. It, it, it,
2: it, not in rhetoric, but in practice, which which to me matters. Right. Yes. matters much more. Um, you know, th- there's always been some rhetoric um, it, on, on you know. Although I don't even know what calls for the left in the United States anymore. What that even means. But I, but I, there, yeah, there is, and I think if you go to the Southern Poverty Law Center's website, you do find a few groups that would be, um, you know, possibly associated with the left, but they're mainly um, nationalist groups. But
0: the, but the rhetoric and support of violence from the political left is increasing, and I think, you know, well, action, action is like, true, yeah. action is likely to follow rhetoric, and you know i mean yeah, no, i
2: don't i don't think it's a positive trend by any means no, me i, I neither. think it's it's once again the, the desperation um, the lack of faith in the institutions the lack of faith uh, in the political parties etc and no i don't think it's a positive trend at all i'm just saying that it you know when you compare it to what's happening on the other side which like i said has definitely echoes of the of the early 1930s uh, in Europe, you know, which which also is institutionally about one-third or third of our federal judges. Um, We got two Christian nationalists on the Supreme Court. We have one vice president who is a, a Christian nationalist. You know, so, you know, the institutional power that the right wing holds makes their Racism and, and, and calls for stand up and stand down, or, or, you know, stand up or whatever the president says every other day.
0: Stand back and stand by, I
2: believe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it makes makes that so much more powerful because the so-called left, I don't even know what that would be in the United States, but doesn't really have at all the institutional power. Yeah. But that here's, the right does, uh, especially the, even with the institutional evangelical church, here's the, even, you know, the, the different evangelical
0: churches. So, so, Jeffrey, the column I wrote back in July, just uh, guns don't belong at protests. And uh, I got a lot of crazy responses. I mean, to me, they're well, I mean, I know where people are well, coming from. I think from. if
2: you wrote that, that's a rational column.
0: Well, it is a rational column, but the, the response is, here's one, oh, you late, we pass protesting, it's wartime. And another one was peaceful protesting isn't changing, so we moved to much more bigger ideas implying violence. Yeah. And you know, yeah, they, this
2: this this really Ed, it really reminds me of the late C T Vivian who I I really adored. He marched with Dr. King. We had a chance to spend some time with him before he gave a speech at Iowa State University, and because he found out we were active, he totally changed his speech. Well, to make a long story short, somebody asked him after the lecture about violence. And he said, you know, those people used to come around us, and they even came around Dr. King. And he said, at a certain point, we got tired of them, and you know what we told them? We said, go ahead, do it. See how, see how far you get. Yeah. He said, most people who talk about violence just talk, and it's just noise, and so, you know, I think whenever we're we're looking at this, we have to. Now, there is there is a debate going on about how you deal, you know, with with groups that may have fascistic tendencies, right? And there's right. anti and, and all just, that, and, and I think that's a much longer and then actually, question.
0: That, that's actually a great segue to our next uh, conversation. We've got to take a short break, Jeffrey, but, uh, folks, Jeffrey Weiss is going to stick with us, and we're going to talk about some of the preparations being made Now, for a nonviolent response to various scenarios of what might come out of the election. We'll be back in a minute. Again, Jeffrey Wise sticking with us here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas-Findley. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, broadcasting from America's heartland in Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our local uh, non-profit partners, Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Check out birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Again, welcome back to the program, Ed Fallon. With you here, my guest this segment of the program, uh, Jeffrey Weiss, and we were talking previously about violence and how more people seem to be supporting violence in terms of responding to political disturbances or disturbing political trends. Let's call it either one. And you uh, know, at the same time, there are a lot of people moving to dis- you know discussing what might be nonviolent responses to. Various scenarios of how this election might play out. Uh, Jeffrey, thanks for sticking with us today, and appreciate your, your insight on this. And I know um, in the break there we were talking a little bit about misconceptions people have about uh, pre, um, pre-World War II Germany, and that would be a really good starting place, I think, for our conversation.
2: Yeah, I, one thing I wanted to just point out is there is some discussion in the United States with the Antifa and other organizations that, you know, if only there would have been political violence used against the brown shirts uh, as they emerged, uh, then Germany may have, have, have gone differently. And I, Benjamin Carter had wrote a tremendous book, The Fall of the uh, Weimar Republic. And one of the things he points out in his book, which is really interesting, is that for a long period of time, the Communist Party did fight and use violence uh, largely on the streets of Germany to uh, fight the emerging um, fascist fascists and the brown shirts, etc. In fact, he said that often there were interesting interviews with people who worked in hospitals, and they said, um, we knew who was who, because they said the Nazis had knots on their head and the communists had stilettos in their hearts. And they're really was a atmosphere in a lot of cities in Germany uh, that spoke of chaos and spoke of disruption and that turned a lot of the German population away and I you know I'm not <laughs> comparing Germany to the United States today except there there are a lot of people turning away probably people turning away because of another reason well, Jared sure sherphy a lot of people know, which is the lying that is going on you know lot. which is
0: a lot of people Would are comparing, story? a lot <laughs> of people are, but Jeffrey, a lot of people are comparing 1930s Germany with two, 2020 U.S. Uh, sure. I mean, and, and there's this group, the Fight Back Table, which is a coalition of, what, 60 plus organizations uh, that uh, apparently, well, the, art, the one story says the left secretly prepares... Well, of course, if it's a story in in the Daily Beast, it's not a secret anymore. But um, yeah. you know, they are they've been having these conversations about how do we respond nonviolently to potential election chaos, and and one of the um, one of the key people involved in that, um, uh, you know, said um, this is um, Rana Epting. She's with Move On. Uh, she says, quote, progressive groups at the end of the day believe in our democracy and while it is not perfect, believe in building upon it and strengthening it. And we will fight to protect it from what we truly see as a president who has gone off the rails and taking this country down an authoritarian fascist path. Is that an overstatement, Jeffrey?
2: No. And I think that the main thing is, you know, the word fascist is. You know, one, it doesn't necessarily mean death camps. It's, it has, a you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that people can look at and need to break down the word. It's actually kind of interesting because the so-called left in most of Europe, they really toss that word around a lot um, to refer to, you know, not only the president of the United States, but, you know, hung- the prime minister Hungary. I mean, I mean, a lot of Poland, I mean, <laughs> um, Putin, et cetera. So, I mean, but I, but I think, I know Bernie Sanders has been speaking... About you know, developing a plan that the, the people of the United States need to have a plan um, if the election is is stolen or if it's tampered with, and I'm glad that it's. I don't know anything about the plans, but I'm glad that it's. It would be nonviolent, and that it would maybe be nonviolent civil disobedience, well, or you know, protracted, you know, trying to shut the economy down or something like that, and you know this. I think not so much Germany, but this is, you know, quite typical of our form of government. Presidential republics tend to turn into presidential dictatorships. That's subject of another show, maybe. But so I guess I when I look at the modern day United States, I think of it more like that and sort of, you know, the the decline, kind of a wannabe empire and decline. And, you know, a lot of these things that we see, It's I guess it's a little more like Zimbabwe, I would say, rather than. Modern day, or I mean 1930s Germany, and also, you know, Zimbabwe has a similar form of government than we do.
0: Yeah, so um, again, there's very little disagreement right now among those who are really studying this that, that um, President Trump he's going to try to steal the election. I mean, Trump, just using his own words. That's what's going to happen. He's going to find yeah, a way Pence, to not lose. Yeah, Pence agreed
2: the other night during the debate.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, he's, he's, I mean, Pence agreed, and Pence refused. You know, even though it's fascinating to me that Congress, both the Democratic House and the Republican Senate, took a vote on the importance of a peaceful transition of power. And in the Senate, it was unanimous. And in the House, only five people not surprisingly, including Iowa's Steve King, uh, voted against the peaceful transfer of power, which is amazing that you could vote against that. But um, yeah, but you know the fact that they had to take that step says volumes. But but you know, and, and uh, here, here's what I'm wondering: is that just um, for the Republican Senate? Is that just cover for the inevitable attempt to steal the election, or are there are there folks in the Iowa in the U.S. Senate that really mean that, that really want to make sure that this election is not uh, stolen, and again, I, you know, I,
2: I'm gonna. Yeah, I, it depends on which of the scenarios in which it would be stolen. I mean, I, in even the article you, you know, you spoke about. If it would, if it ends up being a decisive loss, it would be much more difficult. But if it ends up being something that's contested, uh, well, then de- I'm guessing that they will.
0: Well, define define be more
2: likely to stay quiet. Yeah, de- defi- I,
0: define a decisive loss. What does a decisive loss look like? Well,
2: <laughs> Yeah, it would be—I don't know—maybe what three more than three percentage points in all the battleground states, or something like that, where it's it's really if there's discussion about fraud or something like that, it couldn't be enough fraud, kind of a thing. Now, it's much more difficult because you know we, we to, to to sort of hope that I mean the Republican Party has become what political scientists call a party of power, which is essentially a party that exist to be in power, pretty much no matter what they need to do to be in power. Um, Constitution be damned, republic be damned, um, civility be damned, the truth be damned. Um, Really sort of a pre-enlightenment party, you know, like a political party that sort of just reverted back to pre-enlightenment stage, like before science, and and is really (laughs) quite, you know, extreme in a lot of measures. And so I I wouldn't really... Calling any anybody to keep, or I mean, to have hope in the sanity of of a party that's pre enlightenment, but well, at the same time, you know, you have to, you know, well, I remember, mean, I think even just just as alarming is is the non reaction to the domestic terrorism. Well, let, me know, this, let me ask you this, Jeffrey. Let
0: me ask you this. I mean, I mean the, the, that, that's again,
2: even more alarming.
0: Again, you've got this group of of, of leading, um, you know. Progressive organization, liberal organization, think tank, figuring out how to respond nonviolently. Do you think that there is any way of coming up with a plan that will uh, allow for an appropriate nonviolent response to the potential challenging of an election?
2: No, because it, it will be spontaneous and it will all unfold online, just like everything else.
0: <laughs> so there's no point in preparing for it, you're saying?
2: No, no I mean I, I think there's a point in preparing for it but I think that that what you, that you wouldn't really that the organizations do not really know what they are preparing for
0: Well I mean uh, you they, know, and really
2: expect the unexpected
0: I mean they've gone through a lot some of them have gone through some very detailed uh, scenarios as to what, what what if this happens that happens something else happens I mean there's there's like seven or eight different possibilities including getting Congress involved, including getting the courts involved, the US Supreme Court eventually. Um, there's lots of ways in which Trump could steal the election. I mean, presuming, presuming he doesn't win it outright. And I think if, if you're looking at the polling, that's almost not going to happen. There's almost no way that can happen. So, yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're, they're thinking through the various scenarios. But again, I, you know, I, I think it is kind of a long shot to think about, well, how exactly can you respond? But some are saying, well, we should have been thinking about this six months ago.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I I think, I mean, I guess I'm just a broken record, but I think it's impossible to predict yeah. what is going to happen. And at the same time, I, I think a lot of people would come out into the streets and they would put, I mean, a lot of regular people, and it would put a lot of pressure yeah. on everybody.
0: Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. I really hope that this, uh, I, I know it will not be resolved on Election Day. I hope the election is resolved later that week. That itself will probably be optimistic, but it would be nice to think that... Uh, our institutions of governance are still strong enough to preserve a peaceful transfer of power. And certainly the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress at least have gone on record as saying that they agree. Uh, Jeffrey, yeah. uh, thanks so much for joining us.
2: <laughs> we, okay, sounds good. We could talk for a lot thanks.
0: longer about this. Uh, folks, uh, Jeffrey Weiss has been with us for uh, for this segment of the program. Uh, again, thanks for joining us, Jeffrey.
2: Okay, thank
0: you. And when we come back, folks, uh, we're going to be talking about... Um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and how some of us here in Iowa got to know them really, really well over the issue of the climate crisis. We'll be back in a minute to talk about that on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
1: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. With lunch and supper available seven days a week through takeout and breakfast available through takeout on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk, H-O-Q, Restaurant. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, Joining me now is uh, Kathy Burns, who uh, is now wearing her bold Iowa cap as we um, discuss the uh, presidential campaign. We got to know Joe Biden really well, and to a lesser extent, Kamala Harris pretty well, when they were all over the state of Iowa back in 2019. And um, just kind of looking through our history with Joe Biden, our first encounter was when about 12 of us showed up at his announcement event on May 1st of last year to welcome him to Des Moines uh, with penguins <laughs> and uh, climate crisis signs.
1: That's right. Today I'm wearing my bold Iowa hat and I'm not wearing my penguin costume, which <laughs> which several of us did wear. I think we have six of those costumes and there were six of us wearing those at some point during that event uh, where Joe Biden Drew a big crowd, and we were right in the front. It was a, it was a great moment.
0: Yeah, and he didn't, um, you know, he, he'd he already had several announcement events around the state, and he really didn't talk about climate at any, any of those events. But, um, you know, in Des Moines, because he had climate is the crisis signs in front of him, he did talk about it. He said some strange things that were confusing. Um, but then, you know, people, bold Iowa bird dogs continued to talk with him throughout the summer, Including at the Iowa State Fair on August eighth, mm-hmm. uh, I managed to talk with him before he got up on the stump to do his uh, his uh, soapbox speech at the state fair, and maybe that had something to do with the fact that he did talk more about climate. So I mean, I, I really I said to him right before, "Hey Joe, um, you really need to talk more about climate change," and he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> so um, maybe that had something to do with it, but he did talk more about climate than he had previously. And then Kathy, you um you got to ask him a question. Uh, in a very uh, much more organized uh, mm-hmm. presentation at the Asian Latino Coalition.
1: Right, I was a designated questioner at that meeting and it was a great opportunity for an, about eight of us, I think, to ask a specific question on a particular topic and I was asked to present the question about climate and...
0: They almost skipped over you. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: well, you, you know... Uh, Biden is a is a very nice guy. He tends to be long winded. So he, I think he thought he was done with all the questions, and then there was one more, and it was on climate change. And he answered the question at length.
0: But he said he didn't really want to deal with climate change. He did. <laughs> he might have been joking. I don't know.
1: Admittedly, but... uh, when when he said, "Oh, I think this might be the question on global warming that I didn't want to hear," but I said, "This is the question on." global warming or climate change, but he answered the question at length. I don't always agree with everything he says, but I think what we're getting at here is through the course of the summer, the more we spoke to him, and it wasn't just Ed and me, it was people all across the state under the auspice of Bold Iowa advancing the climate issue with all the candidates. He got there in a lot of ways, and his most recent climate video was really amazing and really on.
0: Well, that was the video that he um, he shot. Well, it it was a speech that aired at the same time that President Trump was in California, suggesting that forest management was the way to deal with the record wildfire season. But you know, uh, again, looking back at you know, it was on August eighth that we met Biden at the State Fair. And then on August 20th, that you talked with him at the, um, no, actually August, yeah, August, <laughs> all, it was the same day, August 8th, you also, it was twice in one day, that's right, it was twice in one day, you mm-hmm. also talked with him at the uh, Asian Latino Coalition, and then just a couple weeks later, August 20th, a group of us, maybe see, six or seven of us, ran into him, well, it wasn't accidental, we went to Living History Farms, yes. northwest of Des Moines, to talk with him, and again, th- the same themes kept coming up. Uh, the pipeline, um, you know... uh, Fracking. Fracking, the climate debate. Um, And and he he kept saying, you know, I've always been against... He was pretty consistent about saying, I've always been against the Dakota Access Pipeline. We were hoping for a more uh, clear written statement. We didn't get that, but he did say he was always against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And the disconnect that we were never able to really hammer out was, okay, if you're against that, then what about... What about, you know, what about replacing existing pipelines? And that came into high focus on, uh, on November 11th mm-hmm. at a CNN-sponsored forum in Grinnell. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a really enlightening 10-minute video on the Bold Iowa website about that conversation because we, we, we kinda, he kind of said, I'll stick around and talk with whoever wants to talk. And we had climate on our minds, and so did, I think, the entire Grinnell student body.
1: They were prepared and they were they had a, a guy leading the charge on that question. Kyra
0: Hitchens, yeah.
1: It, amazing. But we kicked off the conversation with our question again about please clarify your stance on pipelines. And he gave he gave us the the answer that we were used to hearing. And the students then were together in and encircling the vice president on uh, talking about the climate issue, and they were saying that you know waiting longer is too little too late to get this issue turned around they were pushing him rightfully so to have a plan that commits to fewer emissions in less time and i I, th- I believe that their persistence is paying off because biden seems to be taking a stronger stance on that now he
0: certainly has and i i think the one shortcoming is we're still not clear about his opposition to fracking and um, again, we have him on record as saying he's opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline and presumably other pipelines that are transporting, uh, you know, dirty oil. And um, he agrees that oil from either North Dakota or from Canada is dirty oil. So that's good. But uh, we never, we weren't able to ever get him to make the jump to say either that fracking was wrong, or that we shouldn't, that we should not be replacing existing pipelines.
1: But well, the good news is that, let's say he does become the president, he will be open to further conversations, and we will do what we can to have those conversations. Uh, I don't know if we will have any personal access. <laughs> well, not like uh, we did, you have, you not like we did pers- last year. You have some personal history with Well, with I do, yeah. yeah we, we played
0: pool years ago after my campaign for governor, and he beat me. He's good at pool. But... Um, yeah, so with, uh, regarding Harris, Harris did actually s- submit us a, uh, submit a, um, a, a, a written statement in opposition to expanding yep. the Dakota Access Pipeline. We first met her with a group of, again, about 12 bold Iowa people at the uh, February 23rd um, Story County Democratic Fundraiser, and some people had a chance to talk with her a little bit. And then it wasn't until June of last year that, um, that some of our other folks were able to talk with her at an event in Indianola. And then in August, um, again, you and I and others went to the Asian-Latino Coalition event. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of our one of our bird dogs, Samantha Kewen had a chance to talk with her uh, in a little bit more detail. Uh, and we met her again on October 7th. Um, and then uh, what I thought was the most fun event was the Urban James Block Party, where you and I were standing mm-hmm. right in front of her. Uh, we just we happened to just let, accidentally end up right in front of her on the stage. Which turned out to be an interesting moment, too, because a bee landed on her microphone, and I, beekeeper that I am, just reached up, took the mic from her, blew the bee off, and handed the mic back to her. But Saved um, her life. But overall, and then the final event, we, uh, we talked with her on November 30th at that a was, house party.
1: That was the most interesting, because we didn't know when we attended that house party that it was, I think, a day. That
0: was her last event. The last event before
1: yeah. she announced her departure from the presidential race. And it was a it was a house party that was well attended and um, you just could really everybody could hear everybody and she gave good answers and extended answers but Ed you asked her you I like the way you prefaced the question with if your house were on fire you you'd be out of here in a minute to yeah. to take care of the problem and she got that I, I yeah. think that was a great analogy that but you it was a,
0: and it was a good response I, I mean overall I'd say that you know, Candidates generally became more outspoken about the importance of climate action as the mm-hmm. presidential campaign unfolded. You know, and they're not exactly where we'd like them to be on every account. But if again, if you compare, uh, you know, the statements of of Harris and Biden with Trump and Pence, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really clear that there's a huge distinction, a huge distinction when it comes to where they, with their understanding of. And their willingness to commit to, you know, to problem solving when it comes to climate.
1: In the Harris-Pence debate, I was baffled by Pence insisting, quote, we believe the science or we follow the science, something like that, and then saying that the climate is changing, but we don't know why. (laughs) That's not science. Then you don't believe the science. Harris has a firm understanding of the science and a commitment to the comprehensive effort that it's going to take to turn around the forces that have caused the climate to change dramatically and um, dangerously.
0: Yeah, vice presidential uh, um, candidates are always important elements of the discussion, but I think this year they're more important than ever, partly because of the age of the two candidates running for president, uh, and and you know partly because to, we've seen that vice presidents tend to become... Uh, very, very strong inside, you know, inside candidates for the office of president uh, later in later, you know, later down the year. So in years, years subsequent.
1: And they, they also are influencers yeah. in the president's conversations.
0: Hey, we got to take a short break, folks. Uh, when we come back, uh, another Kathy Burns, actually the same Kathy Burns with a different hat on is going to join us as we talk about urban farming and what's in line for 2021 workshops. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecture by synthesis.
1: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: back to the Fallon Forum, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America. Our voice from the heartland here is sponsored in part by a number of local businesses and local supporters and supporters outside of Iowa as well. Thanks to local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch and supper. Nowadays, you can do lunch and supper seven days a week through their takeout program. And also, takeout service available for breakfast on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, welcome back to the program. Again, Kathy Burns with us again, this time wearing a different hat. She is the director, of course, of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And uh, urban farming, of course, is a part of the... uh, Part of how we move forward in the new climate era, but it's also just a really heck of a good way to eat, and it's not too early to start thinking about what happens in 2021. We are already planning what to plant where, how to amend the soil, what new infrastructure we need. Um, it's a really, it's it's good to prepare ahead of time. The other thing it's good to prepare for is is what kind of um what kind of skills do you want to develop? Uh, we've been thinking about that, and Kathy has come up with a series of workshop ideas for 2021.
1: Right, preparing is what it's about, and this year it's hard to prepare for next <laughs> year because we don't know what to expect. And so, you
0: mean Corona wise? Corona wise, yeah. and
1: learning what we learned hosting workshops this year, and thanks to our participants, they were amazing, and we learned a lot from them. Um, these uh, folks took the 10 month series that we offered and every month it was a different topic, their monthly series. And uh, we did do some uh, discussion with them very recently about what worked, what, what would you have preferred to see, how did it work when we had to go by Zoom on a couple of them, and we've developed a, a number yeah. of workshop ideas. The exciting thing for the coming year, though, is we're going to continue our 10-month series unless we make it a nine month.
0: And the short answer to the uh, Zoom uh, option is not so much. Um, <laughs> most of our workshop participants really didn't care for the Zoom option. But again, at, at it, the time, it seemed like it was our best uh, best approach, but we figured mm-hmm. out a way to do it with appropriate social distancing on mm-hmm. site. And, and that went a lot better. It's just much better when you can have hands-on demonstrations of right. how things work.
1: And what we want to offer next year, and we'll have our website, birdsbeesurbanfarm.org, updated soon with these, is... Uh, some one-off workshops. People seem to uh, indicate they would like to do that, maybe they can't commit to a 10-month series, Uh, so we will offer some some, uh, one-off workshops. So our 10-month series is very similar to last year because it was very successful. We had one person in our workshop learn to grow food in her space that she'd been trying to grow food for five years unsuccessfully, and she's growing food this year. So we know that what we did worked and we're going to, we're going to do more, but in one-off uh, workshops. So exciting well, because Some people, you know,
0: that. they don't, some people don't need the whole 10 month course. They just need to know more about a specific mm-hmm. aspect. For example, saving seed. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Um, preserving product. Well, how do you, what's the best approach to dealing with, you know, uh, picking, freezing, uh, cleaning collards, say, you know, there's Lots of little details there that may be people who are experienced in a lot of areas, but they need some specific instruction in, in one or more areas. Or
1: even canning.
0: Canning, There yeah. are
1: There are people who um, you can you can Google all you want about canning, but until you get a hands-on experience, uh, you don't really feel you have a grasp on it. Get it?
0: Yeah, grasp, Hand, right. Hands Hands-on, a oh, grasp that's brilliant. on it. So <laughs> Ed and
1: I have uh, have been brainstorming about, you know, what, what do people want to see? What do people want to learn? Um, I mean, also building a, a raised bed and developing yeah. the soil yes, to go in it, yes, that's yes. a biggie.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, and you don't have to spend a lot of money on the raw material to build a raised bed. In fact, uh, I have built most beds with no cost at all. And, and the way you do that is you scrounge around for scrap lumber. And usually it's not that hard. There's always somebody throwing something away.
1: Her, Unfortunately.
0: Well, yeah. But, you know, in some cases, we had, we had a neighbor who did a home improvement project. And when they were done with their home improvement project, they had all this scrap lumber. Uh, it was one by sixes, not the ideal size for a raised bed. But when you double up a one by six, you've got a one by 12. And mm-hmm. uh, we used uh, um, stakes to basically hold the frame in place so that, uh, you know, there was no cost at all. Yep.
1: Minimize the need for hardware. We do use some hardware. We do
0: sometimes that use be, brackets. Yep.
1: And some of that can be bought at the thrift stores. There's yeah. a There's a Habitat for Humanity store, Restore in the area. A lot of good products and um, very and inexpensive. It, if
0: you do got to buy hardware or lumber, I really highly recommend you check out a locally owned place. Uh, you know, again, the big box stores. They're located somewhere else. They usually have a um, a pay structure that rewards handsomely the folks at top. And not so much the folks at the bottom of the pyramid, the folks who are working on the on the floor. I always try to go to a local business, mm-hmm. and they're they're harder to find these days because they've been forced out by a lot of these big box stores. It's but important to I digress, them. and I digress badly.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh this, this is what it's <laughs> about, though. It's about it's about relocalizing our food. It's about relocalizing yes. our how we are we you know support our businesses. That's uh, we're part of that bigger picture. Um, something that a lot of people are. Suddenly, into now, especially with um, the the possibility of more food scarcity, is beekeeping, and so we will likely have an intro to beekeeping workshop.
0: And caveat: we are not experts at beekeeping ourselves. We are always turning to other people who've been doing it longer for advice and ideas. Uh, we're 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 learning so much. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would say that of all the crops that I've ever uh, raised. Cro- I'm gonna call bees a crop. Uh, <laughs> they are they are by far the hardest. I mean, I've raised cattle. Uh, I, I, we raised chickens for almost three decades now. Mm-hmm. I've raised chickens, and I tell you, bees are the most challenging. <laughs> they are. They are. They are always full of surprises.
1: Well, all, they all have their own personality, yeah. and you have ten thousand of them. Yeah. No,
0: uh, no, no. yeah, yeah. Well, they do, don't they? they? Do. Yeah, and also I've discovered that I'm allergic, so.
1: <laughs> but we're going to carry on. And we're, we're going to carry keep, on. Keep bees next year. Um, one right. thing we are more expert in is um, keeping chickens and raising chickens and eggs and using the manure for compost. So we are exploring the idea of an introduction to raising chickens yeah. as a workshop, so that a, and a lot more people went into raising yeah. chickens this year. And,
0: and, the, and here's a, a kind of a novel um, one-off that I want to offer: is a cooking with wood. You know, every time I turn on the gas stove, I can't help but think Mm -hmm. of how that gas was produced through fracking, Mm -hmm. all the damage caused to the earth, to landowners, to the environment. And I think, well, you know, we've got all this scrap wood just laying around the yard. Uh, from trees, various not, trees, not just from, yeah, no, not,
1: <laughs> not just from building frames. But it's amazing,
0: even, even without a derecho, the amount of lumber that comes down is adequate for for building for cooking with wood. And and I've gotten very good at it. I I don't produce a lot of smoke. Um, I actually use very little wood.
1: Some people think you blow a lot of smoke. I do blow a lot of smoke. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, uh,
0: <laughs> but that's a different conversation. But no, the um, the uh, you know with with wood, you, you again, you're not you're not you are not you're not it's carbon neutral that carbon is sequestered in the wood it's going to be released into the air whether it rots or burns the one liability is you're producing some smoke but again i've i found a way to usually be able to cook with limited smoke and you can you can you can boil you can saute, you can fry eggs, you can make pancakes, you can even do breads. And of course, you can grill meat, mm-hmm. but breads are the hardest. Anything. You can grill vegetables too. You can too. grill vegetables. A lot of yeah. So we, we we do a lot of meals on on the wood on the wood stove on the wood stove on the um, Weber grill, I guess it is.
1: Yeah. That a very we small. Burn one. wood. Yeah.
0: You know, no um, no charcoal, no lighting fluid.
1: No, that's smell. I can't
0: stand lighting fluid. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's another petroleum product you don't need.
1: Um, along the lines of you uh, helping people learn more about cooking with wood, I I like to cook too, and I like to bake, and this will take the stove inside with the, with the gas uh, burner, but intro to pie baking. Pie I, baking. I'm a pie baker from way back. Tribute to my mom. Um, homemade crust, there's no other way, and I've heard a lot of people say, I wouldn't even know how to start making a crust by hand. I don't know how, you know, baking a pie is a mystery. Just the other day, a good friend said, I've always wondered about baking pies. I've never succeeded at it. I've tried, and I just can't get it right. So mm. I can get it right, and I can teach you to get it right. I'm yeah. excited to do that.
0: And As a former bakery, uh, I used to operate a bakery mm. uh, years ago in in, the, in, in, Ma- fact. in Massachusetts, actually. Uh, I was able to make over 100 loaves in one day in just a standard oven, uh, I don't recommend that. <laughs>
1: I've never made hundred pies in one day. No, I don't recommend that either. I but, think five uh, is the record—five pies. But we might we,
0: we might also offer offer a one off on on baking as well, baking bread specifically. So, plenty of opportunities there, and uh, hopefully, again, the real goal is to is to create more food self reliance, um, people growing their own food and supporting the local farmers mm. and producers who who do that. Um, on a, on a, maybe a larger scale. And uh, again, just becoming more in touch with who we are food wise, uh, both individually and collectively.
1: Right. So check birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. You'll see uh, information about our t- nine or ten We're still deciding if it's a nine month workshop or a ten month workshop. And that'll be once monthly. For uh, a nice a nice gathering, you'll have kind of a community of fellow growers, mm-hmm. and uh, our one-off workshops, which um, which is new for us and in demand, from what we can tell. Yeah,
0: and basically, you know, the workshop starts with uh, learning how to plant seeds in February, yep, and then learning how to uh, plant garlic and a cold frame in October, November. So yeah, we're we're getting ready for our. Coal frames this week, and garlic probably in another two weeks or so. All right, Kathy, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Folks, we've been talking with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And again, this is Ed Fallon, your host, uh, broadcasting again from Des Moines, Iowa, in the heartland of America, where we uh, uh, take ourselves a lot more seriously than they do on either coast. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Thanks to Kathy and to Sherry Herdina, our production team. Thanks to the stations around Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. We'll be back at you next week.